All right, welcome back to Sober Minded Podcast, episode something with uh, Jamie Kimmel here today. I was looking at the screen, it looks like Chase aged horribly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry for the delay, we recorded a week ago and we lost it due to uh, technical difficulties, so we have a delay and we're re-recording and Chase is not available for this one. So it's just me with a guest. So uh, let's open with a prayer. Dear God, thank you for uh, the opportunity to have a platform and uh, try to try to speak truth and uh, uh, just yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you for this nice weather we've been having. Thank you for getting us through the work days, and I pray that you'll continue to be with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, this is Jamie Kimmel, uh, my father-in-law, um, someone I consider a very good mentor, um, a lot of wisdom, uh, practical wisdom. Um, so yeah, uh, on our last episode, we did a preliminary, um, covering on truth and that's what we're going to kind of center this episode on, um. We always end up going into the weeds a little bit, but uh, it's always uh, relevant. So uh, it's all right if we do that. So uh, thanks for coming on, Jamie. I appreciate round number two. No, I I think maybe the second one will go better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I actually meant to study this time. I didn't. Oh, yeah. Well, I wrote down a few more questions. So it should stay a little bit more grounded. Steer the conversation. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to open up with, uh, how you, how you define yourself, like, um, what categories are your identity? I think it might sound like a funny thing to do, but I think it's, uh, relevant because it helps relay your priorities in your life. And that gives people a, a bigger picture on, um, what you're pursuing, what, uh, what matters to you. Right. Um, there again, I didn't study or, or think of a way to better enunciate this, but first of all, I'd say Christian. I think obviously that has the most eternal consequences. Uh, secondly, husband, father, American, you know, world citizen, not in a weird one world order way, but we do have a responsibility for stewardship and, yep. and tending the world that God's given us. Um, obviously that's focused inside of our own country the most. Yeah. We, we do have influence in a larger sphere, so that's kind of how I break down my identity. Cool. No no pronouns are real important to me. Or <laughs> yeah, no. Any of those things. So. Uh, something I was thinking about when I was uh, writing down uh, questions and I was uh, thinking about this one was, um, do you think it's fair to say having your identity as a Christian at the top of that, everything that follows, if it were to contradict with that first category, you should reevaluate that subcategory. I think that's exactly why you put things in order and, and specifically that order is, like I say, eternal consequences to the Christianity. Yeah. Everything else have generational consequences, uh, moral consequences, things like that. But 
the the Christianity is and and just being a follower of Jesus eternal consequence mm-hmm. and and what we were created to do so yeah I, I think if any of the things below that contradict or or oppose yeah yeah you reevaluate the, I, the second not the primary yeah oh <laughs> uh, which I think that's where a lot of people have gotten in trouble is the subcategories they've made to lead the primary categories. Right. Uh, no, it's easy to do. And I think it is kind of healthy. I don't think we think about it too much in our day to day, but having that hierarchy of priority and category, um, when you're, when you're approaching one of the subcategories, you can almost, just go to the next category up and say, okay, how does that category dictate that? And then how does that category dictate that one? Like, for example, when you're approaching work, um, how should I approach work? Well, how should I approach it um, in a way that's beneficial to my marriage? And then, okay, well, how does uh, keeping it beneficial to my marriage, uh, what does that look like in line with my faith? Right. Um, Yeah, I really love backcountry hunting. How is that going to affect such and such above that? Yeah. And, you know, all these things, whether it's hobby, occupation, interest. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's true. Just look back one or more yeah. of the priorities and see how it affects things. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree. Those are those are categories that I also um, self-identify with, I guess, um, in that same order, too. Um it's beneficial, and I, I think that's it's good to have things kind of simple, you know. I think right. I think we can get in, linear. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty pretty straightforward. Of okay, this is related to this, which is related to this. Right. Uh, I need it to be kept simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so, uh, on the topic of truth, um, how how do we find truth? How would how do you find truth in life? So last week when we were talking about it, I jumped, you know, right to in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And, you know, the logos of, of the Trinity. And from that logic, you know, comes our truth and everything else. But I was thinking during the week, it wouldn't hurt because there's definitely levels and and regions of truth. So I had uh, looked up on my way over here the uh, American Dictionary of the English Language. Uh, And this is, I think it's the 18, yeah, Webster's Dictionary, 1828. So like anything else, the Webster's Dictionary has become more and more postmodern or or post-christian yeah um as it's gone along and so i kind of like the 828 because there's not necessarily such a thing as looking back to the good old days or or back when things were better but closer to noah webster actually editing his dictionary and him being one of the founding fathers that was a very very strong christian and everything he did was defined by his Christianity. I like this. And you'll see as we read down through it uh, for some of the specifics why that is. Um, So it says truth, noun, 
conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. The truth of history constitutes its whole value. We rely on the truth of the scriptural prophecies. My mouth shall speak truth, Proverbs 8, 7. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. So, you know, second definition, true state of facts or things. The duty of a court of justice is to discover the truth. Witnesses are sworn to declare the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, Number three, conformity of words to thoughts, which is called moral truth. Shall truth fail to keep her word? Veracity, pure from falsehood, practice of speaking truth, habitual disposition to speak truth, as when we say a man is a, word, is a man of truth. A correct opinion, fidelity, constancy, the thoughts of past pleasure and truth, honesty, virtue, you know, on down through the list. It, it sounds more like a Sunday school lesson to us today yeah. than, than a uh, dictionary definition. But if you lose your, your biblical worldview, then it becomes a lot harder to define truth. Mm-hmm. And at some point when your compass is broken, all of a sudden there is no truth or truth is relative. So that's why I like going back to this and, you know. Yeah, it's a lot more straightforward. <laughs> it's It definitely shows where where they're coming from yeah yeah um i think i wrote down different categories or different ways um where you can find truth with obviously for us and i uh, will talk about that uh biblically being the top being that top category on where we go to find truth because being God's word, um, speaking truth to us, speaking um, how directing our lives, you know, um, and uh, historical, because I I think it's important, you know, we say we read history, we study history, so that we don't repeat the. Uh, the mistakes of the past, you know? Right. And I think that's a good place to find truth. When you look into the past history of humanity and you say, oh, they did this over and over and that failed. Therefore, how can I derive some kind of truth from that? Right. I think that's a place that you can look um, innately like within us, which gets a little bit blurry, but it along the lines of, when it's when it's in sync with the Bible, for instance, morals, and some of them are more clear cut than others. For instance, murdering murder is bad, right. you know. Where that's if if we were strictly animals, there wouldn't necessarily be anything wrong with murder. What would differentiate? man from a deer or a mouse or anything else exactly right where why do we continue to care for old folks once they've stopped um giving back to society you know or why is it wrong to kill a baby before it's actually out breathing air i mean exactly exactly 
Um, um, so, so those morals, which again ties back into the biblical, um, using the Bible as a guide for, for those, because our morals can be skewed based on outward, um, influences, right. you know? Yeah. Like the old proverb about your, your conscience has sharp corners. And if you go against it often, you'll wear those corners off and it won't bother you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then physically, which I guess is more science based, like, right. um, if you throw a ball, it will fall to the ground, whether or not you believe in gravity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gravity, entropy, all these things, the the laws of science. Yeah, yep. Um, so I think that those were just different categories that I was thinking about that can give us a bigger grasp on different aspects of truth. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think they all tied tied together. Well, they do. They should. Um, but again, with the Bible being that number one resource. Um, so why should we trust the Bible to be the um, giver of truth? Because it is God's inspired word. That's, that's going to be where its authority has to derive from. Uh, if it's just a special book that's made it through generations uh, relatively unaltered, then, you know, cool, it's a special book. But, you know, we have Don Quixote that's sold a lot of copies and been translated for 500 years. It, that doesn't make it a reference to where we go to for truth. Interestingly enough, Don Quixote has a lot of yeah. cues about perceived reality versus actual reality. So maybe that one's not an awesome example. But uh, no the the divinity of the bible is is why we should give it credence not not its age or its you know longevity whatever you want to call it and, and um why do you believe that the bible is divine divinely inspired part of that comes from the, the fact that it couldn't have coalesced the way it has and maintained the way it has, uh, that we have no other examples of that. And also it says it is. And, and at some point you're going to have to choose a, a tenant for your belief. And so... Yeah, whether that be religious or a religion that says there is no religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which obviously the irony is, is thick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at, at some point, ultimately that has to be a choice that you, you do believe that. Yeah. But I don't think that's like a more relativity or anything. It's just, I, I, I do believe that the Bible is God's word and from there it derives its authority. Yeah, I agree. Um, when I was like in eighth grade or whatever, when I was trying to figure out why, like whether or not I was a Christian, I guess, right. like why, why should I believe in it in everything? Um, I went down the apologetic rabbit hole on right. all the scientific data and there's all the conflicting thing or you know like a mainstream source will say this and then a secondary source will say this but um 
it really is fascinating when you look at, you know, there's different categories uh, in the historical relevance, like you said, for it to come together, right? For for it to be written over thousands of years and yet have this meta narrative going through the entire thing that right. ties it together, um, uh, even within each individual story having callbacks here and there all weaving itself together the archaeological and scientific record never contradicting it sometimes we think it does throughout history until we find and, and then we find out <laughs> oh we were wrong it was right yeah <laughs> you know? yeah so. exactly in the amount of how many tens of thousands of manuscripts have they found right like all first, over the world first source yep. documentation that has still been preserved and they haven't found any reasonable uh, reasonable discrepancies where, right. you know, maybe an adjective is different or, you know, but nothing that changes the message. Right. And for that to happen, that's pretty darn crazy. Yeah, and that's exceptional. That's that's divine. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I'd, I'd gone down that rabbit hole, but it, it was when um, uh, we were doing a worship service. Um and I, I got tangibly feel like the Holy Spirit there as almost wacky as it sounds, but it's just true. Right. And that's when it became like my own faith. And I think, I think being raised in the time that we are, we're, we're kind of hardwired to want to analyze things. Oh, for sure. From a scientific standpoint right. to the point where we can tend to discredit the spiritual aspect of it, uh, which we're not supposed to, but at least that's what I had found myself doing. But right. I think it's, I think it's wildly important to it, you know? Yeah. In developed countries, when you look at our technology and our, our command of the physical world, obviously medical eludes us so often and you know these other things are still beyond our grasp but the advances we've made the technology we have it, it's definitely easy to to discount the experiential and uh and just the spiritual and it's not so much seeing a demon behind every bush you know like a uh, a third world shaman might but he may well be tuned in to uh, something that we're blowing right past because of our our focus on on the tangible. I agree. Kind of a sidebar. Do you think our culture is the pendulum is swinging on that front? Because it seems to me like it kind of is with with psychedelics becoming more mainstream in you know in clinical right. studies and the mind the power of the mind the power of the spirit it, it's so far beyond our grasp and, and it's possible this is just me wildly theorizing but it is very possible that we've lost grasp of that with our modern you know has to be scientific has to be analyzed and uh, you know we might have some catching up to do in that department no, I, I I have a modern distrust of psychedelics. You know, we didn't have the the coming of age ceremonies and the things like that in the Western culture 
for hundreds of years. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued, but that being said, I don't want to approach it in a recreational or, or necessarily even a spiritual way because I worry about the unknowns and, you know, letting your mind be taken over or altered by something. But I'm very intrigued by the medical possibilities and, you know, yeah, I, I all that to say yes. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree with you. Um, that, that's just something I'm curious about because we do, we can tend to get in our own almost echo chamber where you listen to a few different sources. Right. Um, and then you think, oh, everything's changing because these sources are changing. But I don't know if that's just the sources that I tend to listen to on podcasts and stuff. But it, it does seem like, at least to me, would you agree that the pendulum seems to be swinging away from more, to use the overused word, like woke culture? It seems to me to be starting to swing back um, the other way. My impression would be, yeah, it's swinging back when you're, when you're Joe Rogan's, your Russell Brands, your uh, Jordan Petersons, you know, your your David Goggins's. When those guys have the audience that they do, and they're speaking, you know, there's some pretty open minds there. They're obviously not far right conservatives or anything like yeah. that. But when when they're saying, hey evaluate things on their own merit and not just because that's what a woke culture says you should do. It's uh, it, it feels like a pendulum shift. Like you say, it could be an echo chamber and, yeah. and that we've sought out, you know, like-minded people. But uh, to me, it feels like a cultural shift. Um what do you think we should be wary of as the pendulum swings? Because I don't think we want it to be all the way either way. Right. Um, left. Well, I mean, we're so ingrained in America with left or right. But, <laughs> exactly. But if we're speaking on American culture, then I guess that is relevant. Right. Anytime humanism raises mankind above... The, the status that they should have according to God. You know, we were created to, to fellowship and and be there as a, oh, not a helpmate, but, but for someone for God to, to fellowship and interact with and, uh, and to serve him. And any time humanism elevates us above that, that being said, if you elevate you know, Gaia or, or you make the earth a goddess or a, a thing to be elevated above mankind and mankind subduing and, and, uh, properly stewarding the earth. That's bad. So, you know, that balance between mankind being more important than other parts of the creation in that he's, he's supposed to steward and, and care for the creation and yet he was created by God, you know, to be that companion role. Yeah. Not equal to God, but, you know, he, we are a triune being, you know, 
along the lines of or a picture of the way God is a triune being. Perhaps a supplement to God on earth. Would that be, you know? I don't know if supplement is the word I would choose, but but I, I see where you're going with it. Yeah, I guess that is because on both on both ends, it does seem to be humanistic, where if you look on it, look at it on the left side, left and right, um, it's more it's all about your truth and whatever you want is, you know, your want in above all else right. of other people's wants. Um, but then again, on the right side. If it's taken too far to the extreme, you can become like where Joe Rogan becomes almost just obsessed with your physical performance, like Goggins, I guess. Right. You know, where his physical performance has uh, taken priority over everything else in his life. Right. Uh, And that's humanistic as well. Yeah, exactly. That's something Chase and I have covered multiple times is how how we should approach the gym um which is good you want to be in shape um it's the same as in my mind it's the same as doing like doing pistol drills you know you want to be um i keep seeing that mouse running on that (laughs) (laughs) i keep seeing you look over there it's like what's so interesting gotta have a mouse in the wood pile yeah um but I, I, in my mind, it's it's like doing pistol drills right. or just rifle drills. Of you want to be as effective as possible for those around you. Um, I it, do pistol and rifle drills to supplement or to replace some of my time in the gym. Yeah. So I'm I'm more effective that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you also want to be able to, if need arises, have the physical ability. Not necessarily to take out some jujitsu guy, or, right, but you right. know to well just to survive and be a yeah. healthy human being, so that you're there for your family. Exactly, you can accomplish your your job and everything else. So yeah, yeah, yeah you shouldn't let your physical go completely. Yeah, I was making a joke more than anything. As far <laughs> as it's a lot more effective to shoot something and uh, oh yeah, not yeah. have to grapple with it. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree. Um, what are specific truths that you think are important for young men to know and follow? Like, uh, what should young men be aware of, um, to, as they approach life? Obviously you're starting off, you know, trying to build your spiritual house, personal relationship, uh, with God your knowledge of the scriptures, you know, you, you build that foundation and hopefully you've built that foundation through childhood and up into young adulthood. And so you're, you're pretty well squared away, you know, by the time you reach that young man's status, obviously, like you say, you have that physical need, your, your body's growing and, and strengthening in that time. And, uh, the better physical foundation you build, the better off you'll be as you age. Um, you see a lot of people that, you know, never get strong and you're, it's not easy to get strong as you get older. Yeah. Um, mentally, uh, intellectually, you know, never stop learning. So 
It's so easy. I, I've never been a big video game player, but I understand the appeal of it. And you see so many guys just get lost in gaming. And to to a certain amount, you're you're accomplishing something. You know, it's it's a pseudo accomplishment, but you are, you know, working your way through a thing. So that that's part of what appeals to, uh, I think, the male psyche specifically is we we like to build and make and conquer and and now we're doing that virtually. Yeah, it's not a tangible thing right. that you can look back on and say, I built this. It's right. something, oh, I beat that video game. And a year from now, it won't matter at all. Right. Or a month, a week from now. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, what could you have accomplished with all the umpteen hours you threw at that? Oh, man. Now, there's interaction with other players. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. there's relationships to be built. There's it, it's, it's not all bad. Um, some games are more all bad than others, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, so so that there again, it's a balance thing. But uh, yeah, work on building those tangible skills. Obviously, if you live in a big city, woodcraft and things like that aren't necessarily going to come naturally. Uh, it's not not readily available. But you know, just try to be that well-rounded person would be something I would suggest learn how to make things with your hands, learn how to do basic mechanicing, you know, just, just try to be not a man's man in such, you know, a John Wayne, you know, throw the kid in the pond to make him learn to swim way, but, you know, be reasonably well educated, never stop learning, you know, be fruitful with your time. Yeah. Be well-rounded in your knowledge. As far as capabilities, working with your hands, working with your mind. Yeah. You know, so that that's that's my off-the-cuff impression of, you know, the things to develop. Nice. Um, I would agree. Um, how should men approach work? <laughs> Balance. Uh, I like my chosen field of work so it's easy for me to uh to spend more time doing it than than possibly i ought but uh it's it comes down you know your spiritual life your family life wife and then kids and then civic duties and work you know or down there third fourth fifth however the they start to break down after family. Um, so you always, you know, the Bible says everything you do, do as unto God. You know, do your do your best at it. Do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. That being said, don't let it consume you either. Um, I guess if you need a hobby and if it's not interfering with family life, work isn't a bad hobby. Yeah. But that's that could just be me justifying. Yeah. A well paying <laughs> hobby. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing is you, you need to find and, and pursue a job that will provide a a standard of living that you and your family can agree on and is sufficient. That being said, don't chase, you know, just dollars. Yes. A, a certain amount of fulfillment and you know some people nine to five in a 
inside office would kill them. And, you know, they need to be able to see that tangible thing, whether it's building a building or, or pouring a concrete slab or trimming a tree or, you know, they need to look back at the end of the day and say that truck runs or that part is whittled out of a piece of metal because I did that. Yeah. And uh, if if they were just stacking papers or answering phones, they wouldn't necessarily have that. Now other people, you know, crave that interpersonal relationship and getting to talk to 80 different people on the phone during the day thrills them and, and it provides a sufficient living. So, you know, yeah. the spiritual gifts, I think, really play into that. You know, God's designed each of us individually. And uh, if you're if you're talented at something and if you if you do something well, if it comes naturally, you should probably cultivate that to a certain extent in either a hobby or your occupation because you were probably gifted to be able to do that. Yeah, like so. my spiritual gift is speaking in tongues, so I'm an electrician. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes when you grab those two wires, it just pours out of you. <laughs> um, so when speaking to young men, say high school, high school young men, or just graduated, um, what would your guidance be on pursuing a career path? I, I think that's important. I think that's something that oftentimes gets lost is your we can end up pursuing jobs, mm-hmm. not necessarily not necessarily careers, but the flip side is you can pursue a career to your detriment if it ends up being the wrong career. But how how would you advise approaching that because you want something that you enjoy, but to some extent, you're not always going to enjoy it. Yeah, work is still going to be work. Yeah, And so many people I know have pursued their hobby into a, a career or a job. And then now they hate their hobby and they don't yeah. want to go to work. You know, so, so now they've lost both things. Um, I'd say pick a job that sufficiently provides for the standard of living that you, you need and that you can stand doing. Um, and try it some. You're, you're in high school. You don't need to commit. You know, yeah. you can try some firefighting during the summer. You can try, you know, intern at a bank. I mean, you you can try things that appeal to you. That being said, if you you know go to work at McDonald's and you really enjoy the people interaction and you pursue that up into managing a store or owning a few franchises that's awesome too that's something i it blows my mind on the other side of it that we we make juniors and seniors in high school choose to commit a hundred thousand dollars to a career that (laughs) not not talking bad about high schoolers but you don't know who you are fully you don't know what you want that first year outside of high school you grow so much. Right. It, it kind of baffles me that we don't encourage, okay, wait a year, grow, you know, get out of that high school environment where everything is fabricated and you're right. around friends and, you know, before yep. you commit to tens of thousands of dollars. Right. I, I would never say that no one is going to come out of high school. You know, maybe you've wanted to be a doctor since you were six 
you've gotten your prereqs out of the way during high school with you know college credits while you were in school and you you know you dive right in you know it, there are kids that have this very definite career path but i think it's criminal to tell somebody they need to go to college just because that's what you're supposed to do yeah and so whether it's a trade school whether it's an internship whether it's an apprenticeship there's so many possibilities um if you want to pursue at your leisure an art history degree because you love art history wonderful you know keep learning do that but absolutely don't go into crippling debt to do that yeah you know do that as you can afford it while you work a productive job you know unless you have is the mouse back yeah <laughs> i just keep seeing it dart across <laughs> that's funny um anyway yeah the the college debt thing is a real hot button it's not just because I listen to Mike Rowe a lot. It's, <laughs> yeah, I probably listen to him a lot because I agree. Yeah. Well, well, even before I was listening to him, just being on the other side, and I know, like, Abby knew what she, you know, it's good what? for her. She yeah, knew she what she wanted to do. I went through, like, four different things right. before I settled on something that I wanted to pursue mm -hmm. career-wise. Um, and, I mean life situations change what you pursue um but it was it's just wild wild to me because mm -hmm. i distinctly remember like it wasn't that long ago for me that first year out of high school you grow so much right where it's shoot where i was a year ago i don't even want to pursue the same things imagine right. if i had already spent 75k or whatever you know yep. i don't know in like you say like some people that works out well for right but i think the almost peer pressure it's is, not even peers it's our elders yeah pushing whether it's their personal status or whether they're trying to make a quota and and enroll you know a certain number of kids or you know commissions on loans i mean it's it's awful. Oh, and and yeah. I, I feel like the pendulum is swinging on that. Yeah. I, I feel like the apprenticeships, internships, those kinds of things are really gaining ground and people are seeing the value in actually having a tangible trade or a tangible skill. Oh, yeah. Well, even to... um, like a real life example, talking to a journeyman, he started the apprenticeship roughly 10 years ago or so and they almost didn't have a class that year because wow. there was only five guys right that were gonna do it right. um and now just my class we have 20 some and on the list allegedly what i'd heard there's at least 30 people on the list trying to get accepted into the apprenticeship that's good so yeah the i, I would agree I, I, that's a tangible um evidence of the pendulum swinging in mm -hmm. my book um, yeah, for sure and the fact that the government is giving out grants now for the pre-apprenticeship where you're even going to high school kids and saying hey if you want to if you want to check out an electrical career uh, they can come down and if they if they end up wanting to pursue that and they make it through the pre-apprenticeship they get oh, like $500 scholarship right which covers a semester Right. So RCC is given, you know, a welding hood to, 
you know the kids in high school that have decided to enroll in in that oh yeah you know there's different things that are are starting to uh to build a, a practical yeah life path instead of i i swear it, it's it's not even humanism it's it's a weird uh i i don't even have the terminology for it but just a narcissistic outlook to think that everybody has to has to follow a particular path and that path is some kind of a four-year degree oh yeah like I say, not in the least bit knocking the four-year degrees. No. Continuing education, whether it's organized or, or self-taught, is a must. But uh, it's it's exciting and it's it's heartening to see it coming back. I could be in, incorrect. I just thought of this. Do you think we can, in part, attribute some of that to the institution of a standardized um like k through 12 schooling where everyone is goes through the exact same schooling it's cookie cutter um and again like i'm not i'm not dissing on the american education system at all but it does in my mind make sense that all they're doing is extending it four years out right. and making hundreds of thousands of dollars out right. of it and and that's where I feel like it's criminal is yeah. to be putting these kids who, who really, you know, your brain is not fully formed at no. 17 if you no. sign this letter to say, yeah, I'm going to go to an Ivy League school and pay 80 or 100,000 a year or more and uh, in debt myself forever. When allegedly you can't bankrupt on that debt either. Oh really? Yeah, it's like the one debt you can't that, that you're stuck on. And I don't advocate people, you know, defaulting on their thing that they said they would. No, pay but it is a little interesting. Yeah, exactly. Who is really benefiting here? Yeah. It's typically not the student. Uh, but back to your original question. Yeah, I, I can see the standardized K through twelve, you know, just naturally rolling into an extended, but. There again, whether it's the pendulum swinging or, or what it is, nowadays I'm seeing a lot of schools where during high school, especially the last couple of years, you can work toward your associate's degree and then you come out with either a certificate or your associate's um, because a lot of those classes are just repeat. Yeah. You know, so why review when you're 19 and 20 if you can take the class once and, and that's sufficient? Um as far as, yeah, I, I I could see what you're saying as far as it just being a, a natural extension. But honestly, you you should be able to, you look at generations of people going up through the sixth grade, up through the eighth grade, getting their basic reading, writing, arithmetic. At that point, you have all the tools you need to continue your education on your own to focus it on, you know, specific areas that you're interested in or you need for your work. Um, it, it could definitely be scaled back. Uh, Lizzie and I were talking the other day. She was frustrated because she hadn't learned anything in, in a class. And I told her, well, you know, by the nature of a classroom education, 
you're basically teaching, and I just pulled these statistics out of thin air. It's a guesstimate. But you're teaching to the middle 60%. You know, the the talented and gifted 20% and the 20% that are struggling because of, you know, whatever reason they're they're having a hard time learning, they're going to be left behind. It's You, you kind of have to teach to the middle. Yeah. And yeah, and so, it's not talking bad about teachers. It's just no, a no, fact. It's just, yeah, you can't teach at the rate that would take yeah. the highest achieving kids and, and push them down the you know the path um, because you're going to leave everybody else and you can't go all the way back and, and try to catch the first 20 percent up in a in a consolidated classroom setting mm-hmm. because that's gonna leave the other 80 percent behind so yeah it, it's and obviously though you've got special programs and you yeah you catch those up and you push those ahead and everything else but yeah it's it's limited to and that's where homeschooling if it if it works for a family shines because you can customize yeah you go as fast or as slow as as necessary yeah and, and you can you can kind of tailor it to teach your kids or give them the opportunity to look at possible career paths right and experiment whereas they might not have had that opportunity in a classroom. Right. Like, like when, I think of with Nate and <laughs> Nate and I with was, Luke. I was know? just going to say, when, when your high schoolers that have part-time jobs are saying, I can't miss work, I learn more there than I do yeah. in school, then uh, there, there's some truth to that, but they still need to have their basics. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it is, it is good to have that book learning because that – like you were talking about with being well-rounded, like I love the knowledge that I can still pull from, from the Abeka curriculum, which was pretty intense. Um, but, but it's good to have that baseline of, right. uh, you know, it, you're well-rounded, you're more informed. Um, you can art, um, be articulate. Right. Um, but yeah, it's finding that balance of, you also have to have that physical side and that working side as well, especially right. for young men. Like the boys love to work, you know. Right. Like, and, like, and there will come a day when it hurts more to, <laughs> yeah. to mechanic or to bucket or you know yeah. whatever they're they're doing. But yeah, they're definitely at a, a loving it stage right now. Yeah, but I guess if you, you know, just a look at some specifics if you're up on your classic literature even your text messages will read better mm-hmm. you know if if you understand algebra you know the news will make more sense you know just just baseline basic understanding of these things you don't have to do advanced you know algebra to uh, to be able to understand a headline but when there's a graph mm-hmm. and you need to uh, see what the stock market's doing or you know, yeah. the, the housing market crashed and what were the factors? And Yeah, I realized, so, are we screwed or are yeah. we really screwed? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so That no. goes into one of my questions I had written down. I want your opinion. Um, is, is this younger generation that, like, I'm a part of, part of, do you see an overall good trend or an overall bad trend? Or can you even make that statement? Because I acknowledge from where I stand, 
one of my one of the things that really grinds my gears is people saying your generation sucks and you're all a bunch of lazy sacks and stuff because from my personal experience almost all the kids i went to high school with or that i that i know like from growing up they're all pursuing something right like well not all but literally at least 90% of them are working hard they're pursuing something they're not just sitting around right um but that could also just be the groups that I grew up with. So what's your take on that? And I was just going to say something similar to that, because like you say, we tend to live in our bubble yeah, and uh, really only see what we're exposed to. I don't know any of our kids' friends that are out of work, that are, you know, slacking in their work, anything like that. I'm I'm really impressed by the, the by the kids I'm around. Um, that being said, I I watch the news and I see, you know, climate activists throwing red paint on a woolly mammoth in the in the <clears throat> Canadian Natural History Museum, or I see climate activists, you know, largely these young kids trashing a, a Jewish memorial in Germany, and and I don't understand I don't understand their point of view and what they're trying to convey yeah you know so I don't know if that's that our society has reached a, a level of of opulence that we have that time and and uh, and the resources available to to go off on these crazy tangents or I don't know if I'm just not well communicated with and I'm not understanding what they're <laughs> trying to say but uh, I, I definitely see both sides of the generation. I see cities burned down out of frustration, um, some of which is probably genuine, but that's not the right way to to convey or to, to move past that frustration. Yeah. And then I see kids that are going to work and doing a great job and learning and and spiritually growing. So mm-hmm. uh, overall, I would say every... Every generation has said the next one is yeah. failing miserably, and they oh, yeah. were the last of the <clears throat> of the solid, you know, societies. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm part of the greatest generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think there are generations that have accomplished amazing oh, yeah. things. You, you throw out something like greatest generation. Obviously, it's it's reminiscent of the World War II generation. And the way they ramped up manufacturing and oh, and yeah. the sacrifice they made, yeah, there's that's next level. Yeah, and then you look at the generation immediately following late fifties through the sixties, and there's definitely, I mean, there were there were some social gains, but obviously some social slipping as well. So yeah, that was that was what I told one of the dudes at at work. Um, that started railing on about my generation and all that. Right. I, I gave him my spiel about all the kids I know are working hard and all that. Uh, but I told him, I said, I understand. It's just what we do when we get old is blame the younger generation. <laughs> exactly. I said, I'm fully aware when <laughs> yeah. I'm your age, I'm going to say the exact same thing. Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is, it is kind of funny how that happens mm-hmm. uh, or why because it does seem to be a recurring theme. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Do you, do you know why or do you have any inkling why? Because I'm better than you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it could be. 
I've reached this point in life where I've gathered all this knowledge. You're young. You don't know anything. Therefore, any problems must be your fault, perhaps. And our rose-colored glasses glossing over the mistakes we made. You know, it's like, well, I was never that dumb. How could that kid not know such and such? When I was your age, we didn't have OSHA, and we worked (laughs) 25 hours a day, and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a natural, natural thing. And but you you look at productivity, you look at cultural wealth, you look at all these things, and it's it's Fern. not even incremental. Fern. Hey, <laughs> Fern, no, my wife is here. Everyone, sorry guys, she's disturbing the dog. <laughs> Um, which leads me to my next question. What should young men um, be looking for in a woman? <laughs> I'll wait till Abby's gone and then we'll talk. I just gave her a... I'm giving her more. Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, Abs. Um, spiritually matching, first and foremost. You can work on all the other things, but... You're, you're not going to save this person. You're not going to, you know, bring them up or anything like that. You, you need to be on a uh, spiritually similar path. So that first and foremost. Um, obviously, it's easier if you get along, things like that. But then there's people with arranged marriages that last for 80 years. So yeah, I, you can choose to get along. You can choose to build a relationship, but spiritually you, you have to be on the same page. Yeah. Um, cause I, I would say whether you're a Christian or not, your spirituality takes that top priority in your hierarchy, whether you, whether you admit it or not. Perhaps is that an, is that I, I an incorrect statement? That, but at, I can, at least in a relationship sense. Um, I, I I could easily see that coming into play. I wouldn't say it's necessarily across the board, because you know someone that fancies themselves a new age spiritualist could you know probably relate just fine with a Hindu or a you know a, a religion that that wasn't counter to that. I guess more on, maybe I worded that wrong, um, in determining the subcategories below that, do, do you think? Um, whereas, like, for us, our belief in the Bible, everything below that ties back into that top category. Maybe I'm speaking incorrectly, but but to just play it out, if Say you didn't believe in God. Any subcategories below that would have to adhere to that category. Whereas, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I think if you're an agnostic, you could, you know, hold, hold. Yeah, I'm trying to enunciate what you're trying to, uh, say and i'm not sure if i'm doing any better at it think about that more i i think that it it tying directly together 
is is going to be definitely if you're a Christian. Um, I'm not a Muslim, but I could see you know they have very strongly held beliefs that affects a lot of areas in their life. You know, I think they would have to build a hierarchical, you know, order in their in their belief system like that. But uh, a lot of post postmodern people, their spiritual beliefs, I don't think they necessarily would tie in to uh, to the rest of their order in their lives. I've even seen it in people that have have taken you know quote unquote religious occupations, but they they didn't necessarily believe it per se. Yeah, hmm. maybe I'll have to I'll have to think. And about I could that be more. misunderstanding what you. Were, no, I think I'm you thinking about. But... I'll have to think about it more. But yeah, that was. Some, I don't know if we talked about it on here or if I talked about it with a buddy where. Um, where you want them to be a Christian foremost if you're a Christian because everything hinges on that. Yeah, do not be unequally yoked. It's pretty plainly laid out. Yeah. There's some things in the Bible that are like, oh, yeah, you know, that could go this way or it could go that way. <coughs> Excuse me, but don't be unequally yoked is, yeah. is pretty pretty plainly laid out. Yeah. Um, But and then having the same being similar in what you enjoy and um, like similar values where most of your values should align if you're both Christians. Um, but whereas if you, if you have different personalities, um, you can still make it work. It'll just, yeah, I think it was on here. You can still make it work, but it'll just take more work where like, right. for instance, with Abby, uh, yeah, I brought up Abby where we're pretty similar. So like our marriage is pretty darn easy. Like it's not all roses and rainbows all the time, but like it's pretty easy when you look at other people in relationships where they are constantly butting heads, whereas you can make it work. But because Abby and I are on the same page on most things, we get to skip a lot of steps of working out these um, these little sub narratives and we can put our attention on more, um, more important categories. Right. You know, I've, I've heard elder, you know, statesmen in the church, so to speak, say that they have very, very little in common with their wives. You know, obviously spiritually they align and everything else, you know, the wife may be really invested in the home she may have very specific decorating ideas. She may not be at all interested in hunting or racing cars or whatever, you know, video gaming, whatever that that man is into. But they can, you know, on an emotional and spiritual level connect and they just, you know, kind of let everything else categorize. Yeah. And, you know, you let the wife have her living room decorated the way she wants it and she she lets you go on your hunting trips and you don't you don't push too hard to have her enjoy that hunting trip <laughs> yeah. because it, she just won't yeah <laughs> so yeah it, it certainly doesn't hurt if you if you share interests but i wouldn't say it's absolutely necessary no no and that's not what i was saying right i'm just oh, okay gotcha 
saying you, you don't need to to go hang out at the shotgun club and <laughs> yeah. wait for a single lady that's also a Christian. And you might be waiting a while. <laughs> likes red Fords to show up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's that's all that I had. Um, ask, I guess. I don't know. It's my first time or second time now being an interviewer. So. Yeah. And the last time, I, I can say we had completely different conversations this time. 100%. I, I don't feel yeah. like we even hardly touched on any of the same no. points. Oh, that was... Um, why don't you talk about the biblical citizenship a little bit? Oh, that's, that's very interesting, and it's currently very near and dear to my heart. So we just took a course, uh, Nate and Luke and I, uh, that was hosted by our church. And it's uh, a course called Biblical Citizenship. It's presented mostly by a, a guy named Rick Green, who was a, a, I think he was a congressman in Texas. He's a representative of some sort. And, uh, and then David Barton and Tim Barton, uh, his son, uh, was involved too. But they go through and basically what they're doing is just saying from a biblical standpoint, from with a biblical worldview and it's amazing in in this postmodern world we're living in a biblical worldview is a rarity um even you, you walk into the church and and you just start ticking off the the discussion points most people are not going to have a, a true all the way lined up biblical worldview so what this class was about was what were the founding fathers thinking when they when they wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and uh, and the Bill of Rights after the Constitution and why did the states ratify it and and how you know what was what was their point of view what was their thinking not oh the Constitution is a living document and these words don't mean at all what they mean you know 200 years 240 years later like like some of the some of the courts that are real activist judges and they want to say, oh, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, the general welfare means that the, the federal government needs to take care of everybody in the country. They just need to write blank checks for social programs. That is not even remotely what the founders meant when they said general welfare. So it, it just was a fascinating class. They looked into original intent. They they read from the Federalist Papers. Obviously, the Federalist Papers was months of discussion, years really, of discussion and correspondence. So in an eight-week course where each week is about an hour and a half, two hours, you know, we're not going to cover all of that original documentation. But when you look at what the Founding Fathers were, were basing things off of, it was the Bible and philosophers and, and, uh, you know, judges and, and lawyers that were basing their beliefs in the Bible or a biblical worldview. And there was some Greek philosophy in there too, that I, I would say the Greek philosophy is where they veered farthest from a biblical source, but it didn't disagree with a biblical worldview. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it maybe it was a little humanist in its in its interpretation or its delivery, but you know, it didn't contradict a biblical worldview. So, uh, yeah, it it was just really eye opening because I've always enjoyed history. 
uh, especially American history, and, and thought I had a pretty good grasp of who believed what and, and why things were written the way they were written. But this class was eye-opening, and I've continued to watch you know, more and more of their presentations even after the class. So uh, and you find them on YouTube. Yeah, or exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so there's the biblical citizenship course where they kind of coalesced a bunch of different things together, and then there's uh, the Constitutional Live is another more expansive course that uh, Rick Green and David Barton did together, and David and Tim Barton have a a uh, museum down in Texas where I really wish we'd have known about it when we went to Texas last year because just thousands of original documents, piles of, of early uh, manuscripts and oh, that just, I, cool. and everything down to, you know, muskets and, and rifles that yeah. were used in the Revolutionary War. And so anyway, just just fascinating stuff. And I want to host some of these classes um, here locally, this side of the valley, maybe get some more families because everybody that I've told about it, they might be just trying to make me shut up and, <laughs> and stop explaining and, and telling them about it. But most people that I've mentioned it to have been like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize that sort of a, a curriculum was available. I, I'd like to go to one of those. And It'd so, be interesting because I don't know if I learned it in school, but it's I in my mind that it was told. Well, it's <laughs> in my mind that I was told after the fact they weren't christians and that that's a really I, I would say 1940s on the either they were deists or they were agnostics or you know these things you know a deist believes yes there's some kind of power out there but i i can't know details about it and, and it won't necessarily interact in the affairs of men where these guys i mean you read down through and I, I should have looked up the quote ahead of time, but Benjamin Franklin, who most people agree is one of the less religious of the founding fathers that was that was heavily involved in the uh, Constitution, said the longer, and I'm paraphrasing, but said the longer I live, the more I believe and the more I see the hand of God interacting in the affairs of men. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, George Washington spent massive amounts of time in prayer in conditions that weren't conducive to going off by himself and kneeling and praying. But, you know, it, it was something that he completely prioritized. Um, Andrew Jackson said it was vastly important that, that the country maintained a Christian viewpoint. I mean, all these people that there's there's no way to read their writings and then portray them as a deist yeah it's it's straight up revisionist you know falsifying history to to try and claim that deism was was a commonly held belief in in those founding fathers so uh it's it's just fascinating to to read through so so that book that we got uh in the in the biblical citizenship has a, a book inside it that is the constitution in kind of a modern, you know, interpretation or, or language and then the original text. And, but that modern language isn't rewritten to say that, you know, the general welfare means that we need to have a lot of social programs. It's, 
it's rewritten using modern terminology to try to maintain the original intent. It's like different versions of the Bible it, or it like is, translations yeah. it, where exactly. it's not changing the meaning of it. It's right. just using terms that we use. Right. And, and the so the Constitution really is a living document in the fact that we can, you know, amend it. And so the states can get together or Congress with the with a large enough majority can pass amendments. You know, we can prohibit alcohol and then we can decide that didn't work very well and we can unprohibit it. But, you know, there's there's these different things that we can do to change it. It's it's not completely set in stone, but the the bar to change it is high enough that you can't just trample over. You know, it's not two wolves and one sheep voting on what's for dinner, kind of like it is when we when we pass a lot of the lower level laws and and administrative rules it you know and that's the trouble with a pure democracy any kind of a mob rule like that it's not representative of the other 49 percent necessarily Mm -hmm. so the the founding fathers just have my my extreme respect in in the way not to say that it's faultless you know it was still conceived by men but it was so strongly built on biblical principles and uh and just inspired that being said the the whole biblical citizenship rolls into the the constitution is a a document that governs a society that is moral and and it isn't strong enough it's not iron-handed enough to govern a society that is immoral and so I'm hopeful that that as this pendulum swings that we won't chase opulence and immorality so far that that our country will will cease to be mm-hmm. because of it or will will change so much that we won't have our freedoms. But we do have the responsibility of of as people with a biblical worldview, you know, we have to vote and, and and not just in big important elections you know we have to sacrifice and go hold offices you know we 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 have these responsibilities these duties you know not what we ought to do but what we have to do to maintain a society that looks anything like what we've what we've enjoyed for the last 250 years so it's it's inspiring yeah (laughs) As a straight white guy, that's the only opinion I'd expect from you. <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely check a lot of the boxes, but uh, no, yeah, I, I own I own one gun too. Yeah, so um, no, yeah, it's very. I'd be interested in it um, if you were to host it at at the church or something, right? Because um, yeah, it's especially as it becomes more and more popular to. To frown upon the founding fathers and to frown upon the constitution as that voice gets stronger i think it would be good for us to become aware of the truths from the that applied to the founding fathers and the constitution and okay um 
is it really all bad? Is the Constitution really bad? Or is it actually working out well for us? And right. did they actually set it up for us to, like, with slavery? Um, did they set it up to amend that later when the nation was more stable and could address it at that point? Whereas if they would have, at least this is how I've been told, I, I haven't taken the um, the course or anything. It's been a while, but um, I was under the understanding that they didn't address that at that moment because of how already weak the ties between the colonies were at that moment right. to make such a giant change could have very easily alienated half of the colonies and we could have become two different nations at that point. Or or state colonies or, yes, of yeah. European. Yeah, and, and obviously not in the least bit to justify slavery, but the malarkey, for lack of a better word, of things like the 1619 Project and some of these just straight propaganda pieces that are saying that the only reason America exists is because of slavery. The Like the people of Plymouth... I shouldn't just spout dates because I'll get them wrong, but early, early on when a slave ship landed, they actually arrested the slave traders, freed the slaves that they had brought, and, you know, race was not a factor, anything else. It was, we don't believe in enslaving other people. And so then, now Jamestown played out a little bit differently, and and they did enslave people. Um they were not all from Africa, you know, and that's, it'd be really interesting sometime to dive into, uh, to slavery over the years throughout history. Cause I mean, slavery has been a human problem as long as humans have, have been around. So usually if your country or your city state was conquered by another you, you had two options. You were either going to get executed or you were going to get put into some kind of servitude or slavery. Yeah. And so, yeah, slavery has been a thing, you know, usually white on white or brown on brown or sometimes white on black. I mean, it was whoever was was on the losing end at the time. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, America really even though there were obvious atrocities and and shortcomings from the get-go by having that biblical worldview slavery was frowned upon by more than it was not yeah and, and so it was always america was always at that cutting edge of being the most progressive toward eliminating slavery you look at South America, you look at North Africa, you look at Europe, you look at Asia. Asia was off the charts in the slavery through the millennia. And, and America is really this, you know, with the obvious caveats, this shining star of trying to eliminate slavery. So, you know, contrary to some of our, our modern yeah you know story that's trying to be wove but anyway. yeah and in the fact that 
using that same document that allegedly was so bad to abolish slavery right. and continue to maintain that institution through that transition, that's a testament to it as well. And, and <clears throat> tens of thousands of Americans sacrificing their lives yes, yeah. in a struggle to do that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an inspiring class. Yeah, yeah, I'd be interested in it. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap her up there. So um, thank you to all five of you who are still with <laughs> us. Um, and uh, enjoy the opportunity to do this. Um, and maybe we'll have Mr. Kimmel on. Thanks some, for having me on. Some other time. Yeah, I'll, thanks I'll for coming I'll do some on. homework on one of these days. <laughs> Sounds good. All right.